Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. We're live. I am recording now with my good friend, Jen Fugo. Jen, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. This is like a totally different kind of conversation than I normally have. Yeah, so yeah we've had you it. on a couple of times to teach us about skin and gut things. And we're probably not going to talk a ton about that today. So it'll be, it'll be fun. This will be more like conversations we have, like we've had for the last hour when we weren't recording. Um, I've known Jen a long time. Our audience, probably most people are familiar with your work, but if somebody's not I'm going to go through a little short introduction and then we'll get right into your your own story. So Jen Fugo is a clinical nutritionist empowering adults who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. She has experience working with conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, and hives with clientele ranging from regular folks to celebrities and professional athletes. She's the founder of Quell Skincare and Supplements specifically for people struggling with these chronic skin issues. And she holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Reuters, Yahoo, CNN, many podcasts and summits. And she's a faculty member of the Learn Skin platform, an Amazon bestselling author, and the host of Healthy Skin Show. Not a lot there, just a couple things. No, just a couple. Um, I didn't even realize you got in your dietitian license. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, you when you register as a nutritionist, you become a licensed, it's an LDN, licensed dietitian. Yeah, I saw that and I'm like, low dose, yeah. no track zone. That is a yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> that's cool. That's a lot of schooling. I remember when you were in your master's program. Um, was that yeah, a few, a few I, I years almost ago quit. Now, right? I almost quit. I'm right. glad that I pulled through. I'm glad I had a really great study partner that was like, no, don't quit. <laughs> Um, I was actually, uh, talking today and I don't know if this will just be like slightly helpful for your audience, but I used to be the type of person that would just, I'd start things and then I would quit. Um, and I felt like I was a really good, like a, what do they call that personality type? Like the quick starter personality type. That, I like, know, but you know, I meant that too. <laughs> I, I'm that the, the last, I would say, um, maybe five years that I have realized that when I used to say that's the way that I am, it was almost an excuse to not do the work that was necessary to stay the course of things that I was really passionate about. And now I can say that that's not the case for me because I have a podcast that now is like 200 episodes. <laughs> so there's moments when I'm like, high five, Jen, good job. You've actually like learned how to stay the course, see things through and continue the level of enthusiasm you need to, um, you know, make it happen. It's not just like just showing up. It's like, I actually genuinely love what I do, which I feel really grateful for. I think that might have something to do with you finishing the things. Finishing the things. Is that it you actually help. like the, no, but that you actually like the things that you're doing. Yeah. It leads I mean, to more finishing. It does. It does. Although I will admit that like, I loved what I was studying in school. It was just so much, you know, like there's a lot of times in life where you feel like you have this layer of everyday stuff you got to deal with. And then you're like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. No, oh, I'm going to go back for a master's degree. And I'm going yep, <laughs> to, and it gets to a point where you're right like, now. yeah, it's really hard because you feel like you're being pulled in a million and one directions. And you start to say, well, like, what can I take off my plate? And you begin to lose interest in things. I at least start to become resentful when I'm pulled in too many different directions. Yeah. I start to like get angry and feel like, my life and my time is not my own. And, um, that's not, that's not a healthy place for me to be. I in. can absolutely relate. And I am right now in two professional trainings, running two businesses, launching one of them and planning an international move. So I'm in that. And then when I get resentful or angry, I am reminded lovingly that I am the <laughs> one who chose all of these things to be doing. And so that, um, there's nobody to be resentful to choices Other than my own choices. So um, there's lights at the end of the tunnel, though. Both my trainings are over in the fall and the move, and then I'm not allowed to sign up for any new things until next year. 
So um, luckily I have someone who keeps me in line in this regard. So I totally get it. And I'm glad you finished school too. And um, the podcast has been a huge success. I know a lot of our people listen to it and I see posts about it in our Facebook group sometimes and our own, usually people beat me to it. Like I tag you or put your website when people post in our Facebook group asking skin related questions. And now it's got to the point where our people will usually respond to it faster than I do. And so we have, that's really nice to hear people in our community that, that link you in our group to your stuff when people ask for skin advice. Well, that makes me really happy because I can't do it myself. As you know, like that's part of the reason why, like when you started, um, you know, rebel health tribe was, is great because you have such a great community, but you realize like in the grand scheme of things, we have so much control over our life, but the truth is for ideas to spread and for change to really happen, we have to work together as a community. And so having a community that really does support and look out for others around them, I think it's important. I think there is an importance in life to being somewhat selfish, but in the same respect, we also have to look out for those around us and have a a sense of like a stake in realizing that other people who are ill, who are not well does impact us. It might not be directly. It might be, but it might not be. Um, and could we do something, even if it's just passing along one piece of information or an article or a podcast or whatever to, it, it might not immediately lessen that person's suffering, but it may open the door to a path that they never even could have imagined so I, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, for Thank sure. And yeah, our, our group is super active. I, I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, people post questions and other people answer the questions and then I stumble upon the post four days later and it's already been solved. So it's a very low maintenance Facebook group to operate because they're so uh, proactive and knowledgeable themselves. So it's great. Um, and when we first met, I don't think you, you weren't skin, you were gluten-free was your focus, which was your first step though in your in your journey though, because that was probably the first step you took back in your own journey that was like, oh, this makes a difference. So um, I'm curious on that evolution sort of, but more on like your own evolution was, um, did you want to be like a nutritionist and health person when you were growing up? Was this an interest of yours? No, no, not at all. No. Um, Only one guest has said yes to that question so far. It's funny. I actually wanted to be a fashion designer, Okay. which is something that I actually pursued. I did, did end up pursuing, I was very um, gifted in science and in art when I was in high school. And to the point where I had the so science and art, science and art. Yes. Okay. And I had the like head biology professor in my school, my high school. And then like the head of the art department who were like fighting over where I was going to go to college and what I was going to study. I, I did, I was very proficient in both Um, with the exception of physics and chemistry. I hated physics and chemistry. And still to this day, chemistry is the bane of my existence. Biochem, I I love, but not not a fan, the chemistry, not so much. And um, I, you know, I, I think to some degree, I was sort of a sheltered kid in that I lived in the suburbs. I wasn't from the city. I mean, we're not far from the city, but fashion design is a, it is an incredibly toxic environment, which for anybody who's seen, like I wished in hindsight, I had wished that I had read or the, the book devil wears Prada had existed before I went to college. I would have made a different choice because it was very, is that about the, is that about the clothing industry? Yes. And when I read that after I graduated, I was like, Oh, wow. I would have probably made a much different decision, but I love, I love history. I love art history. I I really love design. Um, I actually am a very proficient crocheter when I have time. I hate knitting, but I love to crochet. Uh, I learned as a child and I'll pretend like I know what the difference is. One hook versus two. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I, that was what I wanted to do. Uh, but nine 11 really like threw a huge wrench in that. I mean, in hindsight, I, 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 I don't know that I've ever said this before or thought of it, but maybe I'm kind of grateful that that happened. Just not, not in the grand scheme of things, obviously, because it was horribly traumatic, but it did push me in a much different trajectory because the fashion industry 
was kind of falling apart at that point because of what had happened in New York. We had this super warm winter and I was forced to basically go back home. And my dad was a doctor. And so I ended up working back. I, I ended up working in healthcare, believe it or not, as like his kind of I guess an aide, so to speak, I would work in the rooms with patients with him. And I got to like, see the disaster of a healthcare system that we have. And just like how awful people's health, their um, health situations were, because he worked mostly with elderly folks, our population was predominantly like black and Hispanic. And so I got to see firsthand just like, you know, diabetics coming in with like missing part of their foot or part of a leg and, and just curiously asking them like, Hey, um, what do you eat? I don't know why I started asking that, but I was curious. And they would tell me, and they said that their doctor said that that was fine. It was okay to drink gallons of uh, diet soda every day. And I was just so perplexed by the fact that no one was being encouraged otherwise to take a more vested interest in their health and acting as if the food and their dietary choices played no role. And so it was just, it was, it was really hard to watch in a sense, because you're seeing these people who are wonderful individuals and they're well-meaning. They just, they just weren't given the greatest direction because that's the standard of care. So it wasn't a thing growing up. I'm going to do this. I want to be interested in this. And you explored some of your other avenues first, which I did too. I was a teacher out of school, actually. Um, oh, you were. I taught high school for two years. Well, almost two years, about a year and three quarters. Um, yeah. And then went back to the service industry because I could make more money working less hours bartending than I could teaching, which speaks volumes to the American educational system. But um, it was your own, I'm guessing there was a reason that you got pulled towards this this kind of work and the pattern I'm seeing so far in recording these podcast episodes is that it might've had something to do with how your own health was going and how your own life trajectory was. Absolutely. Well, this time, so I moved back home. Yeah. Right? I have to, I have to go work for my parents, which was like felt at the time, like not a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to move back home. I wanted to be like in New York. Mm -hmm. And I began, so I'm seeing, you know, all of this pattern, this happening yeah, yeah. with the patients and whatnot yeah. and realizing the system's not really messed up. And I started about, I guess, a year or two later, beginning to have like really bad health problems. And this you is know, in your I, 20s? Yeah. So okay. I had moved back around 2004. Um, I had, I had a pretty, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily shy about this per se, but I had like, I really struggled after nine 11 mentally. I was in times square when all of that went down and it, it was my worst nightmare. And so I had to leave New York city for a while. And I was not sure that I was actually ever going to go back because I just was so traumatized by everything that I saw and witnessed and everything I'd have nightmares. And like, I couldn't even for years, um, 4th of July was like hard. I would like freak out. And I didn't, I tried to be like, no, it's just fireworks. But like, I, it just sounded like bombs going off, which, I mean, that's essentially what they are. Pretty but, much what it is. <laughs> you know, it just, it would elicit this response and cause me to cry and be really upset. It was just, you know, and so I did eventually go back, but I, it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And, um, anyway, so fast forward, I had to move home. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I spent the last like four years planning on this one thing and I'm working for my parents, which was not great. And so I started to have worsening diarrhea and gas and bloating and feeling really exhausted. I had blood work done and my doctor, who's great, I love him, but he like, didn't know what to make of it. He's just like, you look fine. And I didn't feel fine. Um, I knew something was wrong, like stomach problems run in my family. So it just kind of felt like it was normal to have to go to the bathroom after you eat. And, um, I just couldn't get anywhere. I wasn't feeling better. I was probably also over exercising. And I think that was partially a way to cope 
with feeling out of control. Like I didn't know what I was doing in my career and my life. I had no trajectory. Um, I just didn't really have a plan. Um, and that was the one thing I felt like I could really control was like, I could go to the gym for four hours and that's too much. I'm going to tell you now that's (laughs) too much. Um, and so I ended up a cousin of mine was really into, um, holistic health in LA. And I went out to stay with her for about a week and she connected me with a nutritionist who was just like, these are not normal symptoms. And then like, asked me like, do you know what gluten is? And I'd never heard of gluten before. And I'm like, um, you want me to cut out all the foods that like, I'm Italian, like what? (laughs) mm." (laughs) So I, I did it. I did do it. And I noticed a huge improvement in my symptoms within just like three days. It wasn't like a miracle, but it was pretty substantial for me to stop eating gluten, um, in a short period of time, because it, stopped a lot of the GI distress that I was having. And, um, that's where I started to dig in and realize that I had to make some different choices. And that was honestly the moment when I started caring a lot more about what those patients were doing beyond their medication. Like I started asking questions that I would have never asked before, because now I'm reading these books and reading websites and, 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 and looking at my health in a, such a different way that I never, it never occurred to me that, you know, I knew something was wrong, like in telling someone, Oh, you're diabetic, have some, like, I don't know, cornflakes with milk and banana before you go to bed. That's a good bedtime snack as a diabetic. I mean, now I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a disaster. But, (laughs) but these are recommendations that Mm -hmm. patients would tell me they were told. My dad's been an insulin dependent type two diabetic since 1998. So I'm very familiar with the eat whatever you want. Just put more insulin in your shot advice that he got from his doctor. If you eat a bunch of candy or other crap, you just put extra insulin in the thing. And I was like, this is not good advice. I knew that in 1998, when I was in college, I didn't study nutrition at all. Just something about that. He's like, yeah, doctor says I can eat whatever I want. I just need to put more insulin in my shot. And I'm like, I don't think that's true, but I'm a (laughs) freshman in college and he's a doctor. So like, maybe. And then later on, I learned that's definitely not true. And then I would, and it took a long time, but he finally um, stopped doing that, which is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've seen, and even within like the diabetes, I don't know the right organization to throw under the bus right now, but the, 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 the association that tells them what to do will have like a fundraising event with Krispy Kreme or oh, yeah. like, Dunkin Donuts. Let me, or... let me tell you. So when I did eventually start my master's in nutrition, I took a, okay. I admit I was trying to save some money. So I went to a local community college for this one, like introductory to nutrition class. It was like a required prerequisite. It was taught by an, an RD. And listen, I don't, I'm not throwing RDs under the bus. I have a ton of friends that are RDs who think really creatively and are awesome people. So it's not all RDs. But the RD, this RD was like a diabetic educator. And she said in our class that sugar consumption and simple carb consumption is not responsible at all for causing diabetes. And I was like, dad, you're a doctor. What do you think about this? And he's like, she's absolutely wrong. I don't know why on earth she would be teaching people that. And that's really concerning that she's a diabetic educator saying that. So I, I got this like, awful information from this class. Fortunately, the program um, I went to, I found through Rob Wolf's website. And it was just like a list of programs that would think kind of differently, like more integratively. And uh, the it was the University of Bridgeport, which they still have a really great nutrition. I have a bunch of friends who have been through that program. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's accredited. It's a great Mm -hmm. school. Um, I really enjoyed the program. It was hard. But um, I, it really changed the whole process of like, I have never had severe, 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 severe health issues. Like some of the people that I've worked with, um, I've coped with a lot of stuff in terms of 
Like I've, I've certainly had my fair share of like mental health issues throughout my life. Not in a way that I would say, you know, I've told people even, even on my podcast and such, like I was, I was on antidepressants earlier in my life in my late teens, early twenties, because I have, I had, I think it's much better now. I think, I think my husband would agree. Um, I did have really pretty intense issues with OCD and trichotillomania. And so I didn't realize that until pretty late in my life. I don't think that that necessarily played a role in where I am now, but it's helped me better understand that's, you know, how people get lost in the process. Um, and just being handed medications and not being told any of the side effects that can happen. Um, I mean, the one thing that I have come to learn about myself is that, and I think this goes back to that high school piece of like, what did I, what was I, what did I excel at was creative, being creative and also having this introspection of asking like, what are the processes that allow for life to be sustained and created and all of this stuff that I'm so interested in. And, um, I couldn't do that with antidepressants. I actually almost failed out of school in college as a result of taking them. So, um, yeah, my story is a little bit all over the place, but I will say that in my life, I, I have witnessed such, you know, as, and, and, and having been a patient myself and having worked in healthcare, and I'm sure your wife can relate to this you get lost in a system and it's very difficult to find your way through it and sometimes out of it. Um, I got to work in medical billing. I got to work in the rooms. I got to figure out how to connect with doctor's offices because I worked for my dad and saw what he went through. But in my own journey, I saw this, these problems, I want to put that in air quotes because I think I don't want to label them as bad. They're not necessarily bad. It's just part of my story, my journey of, of growing up and realizing that I was different than other people and it was okay. It was okay to be who I was, but unfortunately the way that it was seen within the medical community was either here's a pill for that, right? So, oh, you have OCD. You can't get out of your house in the morning without spending three hours checking everything and doing all these things and whatnot. And you can't function like a normal person. So here's a pill for that, that just kind of, and listen, I, I don't, I'm not against, I also want to say I'm not against antidepressants or medications. Everybody's journey is different for me. It did not work. It actually made my OCD and the trichotillomania problems even worse. Um, so I think everyone is entitled to their own journey and their own choices but I never got resolution or clarity on why these things were happening as a result of just seeking out, like, here's my labs. What do you think doc? And it was always like, you look fine. Maybe you're just, you, maybe you're just stressed. I've been told maybe I was too stressed. Maybe I just need more B vitamins. Maybe I need to stop working out so much, which was probably true. It probably did. Yeah. Four hours four hours of training too much. is a lot. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit. That's K-I-T and grab the RHT starter kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT healthy sleep guide, the wellness vault coupon book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health related tools and resources a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. So you said you didn't have any severe things, but I could, I would argue that, um, those OCD related issues, some pretty significant digestive issues. Um, I'm guessing there is some skin problems yes. in there. Uh, so eczema, digestive issues, OCD, um, 
I would guess that those things probably disturbed your peace of well-being and like life in general. Those are all things that affect many aspects of life um, from you mentioned taking a long time to leave the house, but also uh, digestive responses to meals is um, not the most convenient thing ever. I'm sure that I know how I had pretty severe acne in like my teens into early twenties ish years. And I know what that was like to go through. It's different than eczema, but still um, I remember the feeling of going in rooms and hoping nobody looks at my face Mm -hmm. and that sucks and affects quality of life quite a bit. So I think if you um, snowball all of those things into one ball, that's quite a bit of life impact. (laughs) While I would agree with you, I also work with people whose situations with their health are so drastically worse. Oh yeah. I just want to, I, I think it's all relative. I think what you're trying to do is to not put your, to not put yourself in that same level of someone who like can't get out of bed or can't. Yeah. 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 I get it. Um, it's just, um, I found that most people in this industry didn't, I'm kind of an anomaly. I didn't have health issues. Like I had skin issues when I was in like teens, twenties. Um, I haven't, I, Mira always complains. I have an iron stomach, so like I can eat anything. Um, I don't have any real health issues and I haven't, despite my best efforts for about 15 years to get as many of them as I could. (laughs) I lived like if I wanted to mark off every box of how you could get sick or unhealthy, I did all the things a lot for about 15 years and my body's just extremely resilient. And so I didn't have health issues that flipped me into this field. It was more like I, I started, I went to grad school to my late twenties, which was hard. Um, funny how that works. You mentioned your grad school was hard. Mine was also hard. And I was like, why is this so hard? And my roommate at the time was like, you're in a master's program. I think it's supposed to be hard. And I was like, oh, and mine was in 11 months. Like it was accelerated program in 11 months. And so I didn't do anything else. I did like school all day, every day. And it was mostly physiology. Mine's an exercise physiology. So it was mostly just physiology stuff, Uh, some statistics, which is the one B I got in grad school was my statistics class. But um, I got into that because I wanted to work with athletes. And I realized right away that I didn't want to do that. Like that took me, that was probably the fastest I've ever figured out I don't like something. And it was about two weeks. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? Because now I have this master's degree and I don't want to do the thing. And I started to do some training for people who had back issues, back pain, surgery, like people who were really deconditioned or injured and wanted to function. And I found that really fun. Like I enjoyed helping somebody like get to the point where they could walk up the stairs when they couldn't before, rather than helping somebody like jump a little higher or something. And that led me to nutrition, which led me to functional medicine, which led me to whatever, because my clients kept getting more and more complex and complex and complex. Mm -hmm. And then I have like, I need to understand brain and there's an infinite rabbit holes you can jump down in this field. And so I just kept getting from like fitness to nutrition, to functional medicine, to et cetera, et cetera. I never had health issues and I'm like the weird anomaly. And I always thought like, how why am I in this? And I didn't have health issues. And what I realized is that my health issues were depression and anxiety and those kind of things, which I only figured out in the last few years. And now I'm going through trainings to work in that area. And like, that's really my jam. And I was just waiting to realize what my thing was really. And I was carrying that the whole time I was doing all that other stuff and I just didn't realize it. So I can relate to the mental health piece quite a bit and how that's often like you just push through that and do your normal life. Like I did. And, um, you know what I'll say about that though, too. I think a lot of times we are conditioned to think we have to push through. That's what I mean. Like in this society, it's just something that like, Oh, everybody deals with that. Just go ahead and do your things. And it's like, everything's hard. Everything. Everything is hard. When you feel like shit, everything is hard. Like that was just like, when I was anxious, going to a place and doing a thing was hard. Mm -hmm. And when I was super depressed, like doing really basic things was hard. Mm-hmm. And I will say too, um, and I don't know why I did this. I have no idea why. 
But when I was in high school, this counselor came around to each one of our, can you imagine like a county counselor? You know, she's like, I'm unaffiliated with this school, but I'm here if you want to talk. And we for some reason, I, I, well, in my school, we did. <laughs> and I went to talk to her. And I think one of the reasons that, well, I'm really grateful now that I did, I, I feel like I started. I self-chose therapy and I self-chose the person that I started that process with at a, I think I was like 15 or 16. I was pretty For OCD stuff. No, it was just, I didn't have any friends. Um, I didn't, I wouldn't say I have zero. I had zero friends. That's, that would be a lie to say that, but I was very ostracized. I was very different. I was, I dealt with a lot of bullying. I did not fit in. Um, I felt very alone as a teenager. A lot of it was like the OCD issue. Um, and so, and then we had a lot of things, you know, just going on at home that were very difficult to cope with and, um, a lot of family dynamics and things. I mean, I come from a pretty, I guess, traditional Italian American family. My, my parents are literally second generation in this country. And so, um, there was a lot of dynamics that were very difficult to deal with. My sister was always like more popular (laughs) than me and I'm the older sister and I just never fit in. I think I, there was always these ideas of how my life should be, but it never, ever even came close to that. And then I did things to myself, like I dyed my hair black and I would dress strange and like, I did it intentionally. And I got to the point where it took a long time, a long, long time of losing friends, of being humiliated in front of people, um, being made fun of and all sorts of things for me to realize that the words that people would say in the worst moments of like, you know, being in a class of like 25 kids and being literally humiliated, they had no power over me. And when it didn't have any power and I could like kind of throw a quip back, it was the end of that conversation because that person was seeking, it was really a power struggle. Then they don't get out of it what they're trying to get by doing it. Right. Now, yeah. did that necessitate me? Like, did that mean like, I want, I'm great. I'm, I'm good. No. I mean, I, I literally still remained in therapy. I actually started, I didn't know that I had OCD. I watched as good as it gets with my parents. And I'm at the end of the movie. That's I'm Jack sitting Nicholson there. Movie? Yes. I yeah, was yeah. sitting there and I look at my parents are on the couch and I'm like, do I have OCD? Like literally had no idea. Never heard of this. And my parents look at one another, like, uh Oh, and it, it maybe this, this whole... wasn't the best movie to watch as a family. <laughs> right. It spawned this whole conversation. I started going to see a behavioral psychologist that then got me to a psychiatrist. And then I started Zoloft. I freaked out on Zoloft. So they changed it to Paxil, I think. And then at one point I was moved to. Paxil is what gave Joe brain zaps. Ooh. Ask him about that next time you talk I to will. him. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was on Prozac and then I moved to New York to go to college. And then the doctor, uh, the psychiatrist in, in New York just kept increasing the amount of Prozac that I was on because I was getting more angry, more depressed, more isolated. Um, they and give antidepressants and was, for OCD. So uh, one of the treatments for, for, well, but mine was a combo of OCD and trichotillomania. Okay. Basically, it's a cousin of um, OCD in that okay. there's different things that can happen. So you can have um, hair pulling, skin picking. Like I still okay. I still pick yeah, my yeah, skin yeah. quite a bit. And I talked about that on the Healthy Skin Show because like it's something talking about this right now is not the like most natural thing for me to talk about. But I know it's important for people to know that like you're not alone in all of this. Mm-hmm. But I could not function. Like I had a really difficult time. I couldn't like get going in the morning. It would take me hours. Like I cannot stress how many hours I could not get out of the bathroom. I lived with like six roommates and that made it even worse. There was so many stressors that I, it was very difficult for me to just function. Um, and so, yes, they do at the time, this was back in like, I guess around 2000. So they were treat, I don't know if that's still the case now, but they would use like a combination of behavioral therapy and uh, antidepressants to try to get you to like, to lessen the urge. It didn't work. No, I would guess (laughs) not. Put a rubber band on your wrist and snap it. 
yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. Let me tell you right now. Tase myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, so, okay. So yeah. that's twenties, twenties. And then you started seeing those people in your like teens, twenties, college, yeah. New York time. Yeah. And then by the time you were working with your family, uh, a lot of that had been improved, resolved, same no. medicated, still no, struggling. I, I wasn't, I only stayed on medication for a year. Okay. Um, and then at that point you pulled the plug on that when you realized yeah. you were getting worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was failing school. Yeah. I couldn't do my creative projects for school. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> then, unfortunately, like the creative, and I've learned to embrace this. I've recently yeah. found out the last few years that I have like severe ADD, like really bad. And I never knew, like I, always looked at it as something other people dealt with, but I could never focus on anything and concentrate for two seconds. And I was like squirrel. And um, I never put two and two together. And then when I discovered it, I said something to Mira, like, do you think I have ADD? And she's like, same way your parents reacted. Like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't want to be the person <laughs> to tell you this. And I was but... like, holy crap. Because I'm <laughs> I'm in uh, training with Dr. Gabor Mate's training and he has a book on ADD and we had to read his books as part of the curriculum. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, huh, okay, check, 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 all checks. And I'm like, oh, I have this. And that actually helped me kind of have a little more compassion for myself, like getting the diagnosis and things, because then it made things make sense on like why I had certain issues and whatever, but I know they would have bombarded me with all kinds of things to take um, if I was a kid in school age Mm -hmm. now, for sure. And um, they're usually stimulants. Mm -hmm. And if I over caffeinate myself, not good. Usually people on ADD, I guess you over caffeinate yourself on purpose because then it like does some sort of reverse dynamic to your system. So I know that I would have bombed on the the medication as well. And if they give people with ADD sedatives, like I don't want to say sedatives, but antidepressants are kind of less than the everything. Um, People with ADD are highly creative and then they're not Mm -hmm. like you can't uh, choose what you're going to muffle. Like, so for those drugs, like you said, you were creative and then you weren't, mm-hmm. even if it was helping your other symptoms, which it may it have, wasn't. but it wasn't. it wasn't, but sometimes it does, but it's non-selective. Right. Like you can't selectively numb the things it's all or nothing. And um, for some people that trade-off is great and necessary and essential and it helps them survive. And I also don't want to be seen as throwing antidepressants right. under the bus. Right. Um, but I just know that anytime I've taken anything that's supposed to like calm or numb or whatever, I also can't, like you said, like I couldn't, it's like my brain doesn't work. Like I'm used to it working Mm -hmm. and I I probably would have not fared well with anything like academic or um, creative, especially creative. And if your schooling was involving anything creative or like creative problem solving, like in those times, I just kind of stare (laughs) Right. You would stare. I would stare at the paper and I'd be like, what am I supposed to do? And everything was gray. The I felt like the color and the intricacy of, of what creativity is had just dissolved into grayness. And I couldn't, I couldn't complete projects. I didn't complete my final, which I got an F on. And that doesn't help. No. And so I went to the psychologist. I'll never forget our last session. And I said, look, I can't keep doing, this is not working right. I'm also getting angrier. I'm like fighting with my roommates. I'm really agitated. And she's like, oh, well, you know what we need to do? We need to put you on a mood stabilizer. So maybe let's add in some Wellbutrin. And I'm like, no, that like, I've hit my point. We're not adding in more medication to stabilize my mood. This isn't even helping me feel any better. And so I called my dad and I'm, I feel really lucky that my dad was a doctor. And I said, dad, I don't know how to get off of this medication. I know I can't stop at cold Turkey. Cause I was taking a pretty heavy, I was like almost at the max dose of Prozac that you can take. Oh. And so he helped me step down and get off of it. Um, but I wasn't medicated for a long while. And I just sort of muscled through and I did have, I did still struggle with things, but when I got out of school, I started doing like, I started working with a life coach and that really helped me, I think, better find 
a place of empathy for myself because understanding what I had, it was helpful and refreshing in the moment, but I didn't know anybody else like myself. I didn't know a single soul. What I, what I experienced, and I'm sure other people can relate to this, I felt alone and I felt a level of shame about who I was and why I would do these things that I couldn't control. Like people don't understand when you say, I can't not do this. They don't get it because it really doesn't rationally make sense. My, you know, boyfriends wouldn't understand why it would take me two hours just to get ready in the morning. And he didn't understand. And I couldn't, I can't explain it. I still to this day can't, I just would get stuck and lost in patterns. And it was so destructive to me being a functional human being. Um, but at a certain point I had, I had to take a step out of all of that. And I don't know if going through the trauma of 9-11, forcing me out of these incredibly stressful environments and also working to like start confronting some of the issues and the anger and also realizing that I used anger as like, I was scared. I was afraid. I was shame. I felt ashamed, but I would lash out in anger to try to protect myself. That was like my wall and my weapons to be able to use against people who I felt were getting too close. Um, so anger is almost always a secondary emotion. It's always like a, a it's a superficial secondary yeah. emotion because it's safer. It's like a safety yeah. thing because to express the thing underneath the anger is way more vulnerable. It's way more vulnerable. It's uh, way more scary. I mean, even to have this conversation, I've never really talked about this on a podcast before. I talked about it on a little bit. Well, I appreciate before, it. But I also recognize that there are people going through certain things and especially like, like you said, you never heard of some of these issues. So there's, mm-hmm. I, I, and I apologize. I, I have the podcast on skin picking and I don't, I think it's dermatillomania. I think when you pick your skin and a lot of people do that, like you're like, even people will yeah. like, sometimes men will p- pick at their beard. They'll start pulling out hairs unconsciously. Like right? I pull all- my eyelashes and it like pulls the eyelid off the eyeball and makes this little sound. I would do it yeah. like to the point where the teachers would have to come by and like stick my hand Stop on you. the desk. And they're like, I'm like, I can't not do it. There's these compulsive behaviors that are really difficult. I don't have any grand message or <laughs> like solution to any of this. I just know there was that- no light that came out of the sky and all these things evaporated. Um, no, oh. I mean, I, I, I'm 41. If, if it's going to happen, it, it's still, there's You're still ready. some time. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So that is a lot like at the beginning and I totally get you not wanting to compare yourself to somebody who can't get out of bed. That's a lot. That's like, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. You've thrown a lot of stuff down here that you were dealing with between the digestive issues and the OCD related stuff and the phase of the medication, the feeling isolated, which is probably the worst of all of those things is feeling totally alone. Like no, you said, nobody is like me and not being seen or understood. Uh, and people think you're weird or they just like, just don't do the thing. Like really simple, like telling a heroin addict, just stop using heroin right. and you'll be fine. Um, that type of approach is like patronizing. Like it's mm-hmm. makes things worse, makes you feel more like you're crazy, all these things and a burden and a, like just these people have to deal with me or whatever. And um, the lashing out as a cover and um the then you might not like being called out on that being a cover right now, but um, it's I, a cover. Anger is always a cover. So I've done I, a I can lot tell the reason it, I'm so still, still carrying on the conversation on those lines is because I can tell that you've done a lot of work around it and you can handle talking about it. So I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to, you said you haven't talked about this on a podcast. I'm not trying no. to like get you to the point where you no, no, no. don't ever want to come on anything again, but <laughs> Um, I can tell you've done a lot of work around it. So, and I know your audience and I also know you. And so one thing that Mike, and I feel really grateful. I've known my husband since high school, we were friendly in high school. And so he heard a lot of the things that people would say about me and like the comments and things he, he was aware. And so it's not like he doesn't know where I've been, you know what I mean? And where I've come from. And, and the one thing that's been really great is he has increasingly encouraged me He's like, you got to start getting out of your comfort zone of being so used to pretending like the past doesn't exist, at least in how you like, it's hard with like skin stuff 
people don't necessarily, it's not necessarily like, so I don't know, maybe I'm thinking it's not as connected. Maybe that's a defense mechanism. I don't know. Mm. Um, I've talked about the skin picking issue. Cause that is, that is important. A lot of people with rashes do pick at their skin as mm-hmm. a result of it, but it is important. I recognize, and I wish that I knew someone who had the same issue as me when I was younger. Like when I found out that Olivia Munn also, so she's an actress, mm-hmm. I don't know her, but I read that she had issues with trichotillomania. And I was like, for the first time, I was like, wait, this famous actress has this issue and she's like there, she did that because I had like no sense that I could accomplish anything because I felt so, I'm gonna nicely use the word damaged. I would probably use a harsher word, but I don't know what your, yeah. <laughs> your language. You can use whatever, <laughs> no, you can use whatever word you want. <laughs> but you get the point. Like yeah, I, yeah. I did not feel like I ever had any value and I was constantly living in this state. Like of these shame things aren't possible fear. for me. No, I, right, like, because I'm limited because to this. this little thing is possible for me. Right. Which isn't and I, very much. And, and I didn't know until yeah. that moment when I found that out, I was like, if she can do that, if she can like go on TV and be in a movie and do all this stuff and she has the same thing, then what's stopping me? And so, like I said, my husband's encouraged me to share with people, especially people that I'm friendly with and stuff. If they don't like you, if they're going to judge you or make a nasty comment about you, like, then they're not really your friend. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good self-identifier. It is. It is. And no one who I've ever told has ever come back to me and been like, Oh, sometimes people have questions and I'm okay with that. Cause you know what? It is different. You might not know what it is. You might not have heard of it. And you might, it might actually help explain what's going on for someone who you do know that Mm -hmm. it is confusing. You don't get what's going on with them. And now all of a sudden you're like, Oh, so, um, I don't, I've done a lot of work. And the more people accept you knowing X, Y, Z, it's easier to accept yourself too. Like that. It shouldn't be like, that shouldn't be linked. We'll throw it shouldn't in quotes. Like everything's intrinsic and it comes from within. And it's just, you know, like how you said you, at some point you were like, middle finger to the bullies and then their power went away yeah the same thing goes for like other people's approval or acceptance or like whatever shouldn't technically matter but the more people that like see you for you and know your things and your quirks and your weird whatevers and they're like cool let's go out to lunch uh that part of you that's concerned about like what are they going to think or how are they going to you know it can kind of chill out a little and then that gets reinforced that this is okay Mm -hmm. and also too so he was, I, that was I good advice, I think. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I will also, him. I will also recognize <laughs> that the more that I embrace what's different about me, the more it's okay for me. Like it has nothing to do with anyone else. Just what's okay. What I see is okay about myself. The more I realize I can put the energy into helping others and doing what I really love to do. And if someone doesn't like it, that's fine. I don't really care. I'm not going to spend energy trying to convince someone that I'm valuable or I'm worth it or whatever. I think I've spent enough of my life being like having my self-worth tied to, could I get through the day without someone humiliating me? Um, (laughs) I've lived enough of that. I'm good. Um, And at this point, like, yeah, do I still have issues that come up? Absolutely. Um, I know my mom has a lot of, I don't think shame, probably guilt is the right word because she didn't know how to help me as a kid. And I, I didn't know how much she had actually tried to do. She had reached out to a lot of organizations and all sorts of stuff. I mean, this is like the eighties, you know, like, yeah, yeah. There wasn't the internet. Anybody under 30, there wasn't the internet. (laughs) No internet. So she's writing letters or typing letters and getting pamphlets and making phone calls. Going in yellow pages. It's a book that used to have phone numbers in it. Yes, yellow pages. (laughs) But 
you know, I didn't realize how much of a burden it was to her too. And I didn't realize that until I was probably in my thirties that my mom, it was also really traumatic and hard for my mother. And she, even to this day will be like, I'm so sorry. I mean, she's like 70 something, you know, like she's, I'm so sorry that this happened to you and that I couldn't help you more. And I'm like, mom, you just have to let it go. You did your best. And that's all you could do. I, no one is given the, 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 like a book to figure out how to help somebody who's dealing with something like this. If I was a completely quote unquote, normal person, and I didn't have any of this, I might not be where I am. And I probably wouldn't be where I am today, Yeah, but I have a lot of empathy for people who feel very alone on their journey, likely because of what I went through. Um, and that's essential for the work that you're doing now. Yeah. To be like the champ. Like, I, I feel like sometimes I'm like, I'm the cheerleader. I'm like, we could do this. We could do this. We can well, no one's going to say anything to you on a consult no. call. That's you're going to be like, e, I don't know about wanting to work with you because you've been on the other side of that. Like you've, yeah. you know, like it's um that, that harsh judgment some of it I'm sure was real and some of it was projected. Like you would just project, Oh, they think this about me or whatever too. But then there also was the ruthless people and all of that, but that feeling of aloneness and feeling of damaged and that you're limited and that you can't do X, Y, Z things like having that experience enables you to meet people that are in that space in a way that someone who hasn't that had that experience can't do it. And that's a gift in what you're doing now. So it's an essential thing. It's something I see lacking in a lot of health practitioners across the spectrum of from doctors to nutritionists to health coaches, whatever. Um, I've run into several who may be brilliant at like the biochemistry and the physiology, and they're just not capable of like seeing the person they're talking to as a person, as a human being with all of these things rolled into it instead of just like lab results and a number and a, a robot that they need to figure out a formula to right. give them a protocol based on a lab test to do this thing. And I think that you will not struggle with that. Um, Cause it's now built in. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's built in. Like it's a you, part, yeah. It's a part of who I am now. I don't know. I don't know if it's in my DNA. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it is a part of who I am. And well, that part As of you that went through it will see that in others too. Yeah. Like it's uh, kind of like a like seeing like yeah. um, thing. And they can feel that too. Like a lot of the work that I've done over the last two years has been energy based. And trust me, if you're listening to this and you're like energy, foo, whatever, three years ago uh, from now, if you'd have brought that up, I'd have said the same thing. And then I've had a lot of experiences and witnessed and experienced a lot of things that have shifted me. But on an energetic level, which I'll keep it light. Um, it's like when you walk into a room and you're like, this place is awesome. Or you walk into a room and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be in here. And nobody's said or done anything yet. That is an energetic intuition that you pick up from the space and from individuals. There's people you'll meet and they might be saying really nice words to you. And then inside your something is like, yeah, gross, get me away from this. And um, that's energetic intuition. And with one-on-one relationships, whether it's professional or not, um, there's a connection on that level as well. And just having that, that you have that aspect that's been through the ringer as far as I don't belong and people telling you, you don't belong and I'm limited and I'm a burden and I'm all these things. The part of them that feels that way can tell that you're like an ally, that you're safe, that you can see that whether they mentally think about it or consciously think about it or not, I'm learning that in the work that I'm doing, that this is something that's like picked up subtly. And so I think that you're well-served by what you've been through because it, you can bring that to the table. So I am curious, uh, sorry about that rant. It's just something I felt was important to, to share that. I don't know if you realize that, but it's a gift that you'll then have that you can transmit without trying just by having been through the fire. Um, And I'm curious You've obviously made a lot of progress with a lot of these things. Your skin looks great. Your digestive issues you've told me are like in the past when we've shared things like better. And um, 
I don't know if you still take two hours to get ready to go somewhere no. still no. all of that type of stuff. So like w- in short, I don't want, we don't have a ton of time left and I don't want to get into like teaching X, Y, Z protocol things, but like, what were the big needle movers for you? And at what point did you realize like maybe that bubble of limitation that you had put on yourself, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like wasn't real. I will say that, um, a lot of, uh, so a lot of the, the talk, I don't want to say therapy per se, Mm -hmm. but like being very conscious about meeting with someone and being held accountable by someone on like a weekly, sometimes twice a week basis. Yeah. I did twice a week for six months. I it's, there's no shame there. No. And I'm not ashamed of somebody for six months, twice a week, six before I left San Diego a couple of years ago. And it's what I needed. And there have also been, um, there's been a lot of moments where I've had to, like, I've got to, I try my best in every situation when I get frustrated now to say, what did I potentially do to contribute to this situation, whether it's in my business or my life or whatever, to try to really make sure that I'm taking responsibility for my end of things um, and not resorting back to old patterns as well. Um, I do know, I'm not going to say that I mean, I ate really poorly (laughs) as a kid and a teenager and in my twenties, it really like, who was your favorite fast food? I was team Taco Bell. I did like Taco Bell. I liked the, the, the potato wedges from KFC. Okay. Really into those. Yeah. 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 Okay. What was your favorite snack food that you would admonish yourself for eating now? (laughs) Uh, Dude, I don't know, but I was cheated. Jesus. No, no. I don't. So I can't say that, but I can tell you, I was a big honey bunch, honey bunches of oats cereal fan. Like I used to have that every day for breakfast, which are like then, desserts in a bowl. Pretty much. Yeah. And then my mom would make like her pot, her pasta sauce and I would make pasta. Like that was pretty yeah. much what I ate all the time. Same. My but, mom's maiden name is DeVito. I grew up with plenty of pasta in the house too. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, I I do think improving my diet and such was really helpful. And I do think that I do, I did see a pretty sizable shift when I started to eat um, more real food. Um, I do think that you can go too far and, you know, everybody can find information on my feelings Mm -hmm. on excess elimination diets. So you can look that up. But um, at the end of the day, it was, I also had to do a lot of meditation. I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of self-work um, to start unraveling years and decades of, I mean, I was afraid to go to school. I lost best friends. I had best friends that humiliated me. They were the ones that, that would humiliate me in front of people that like I, to this day have, I can be in a room with them. I can talk to them. Would I want to be friends with them? probably not. I haven't, I haven't gotten that far. I'm not perfect, but, um, it's been a lot of, of self-inquiry, um, and asking questions and say, what can I take responsibility for? What can I forgive? What can I acknowledge that I just didn't know enough at the time? And I know better now, and I can do better now. And that if this is a, a journey that I can always try every single day to show up a little better. Um, but I mean, definitely the meditation and yoga helped. I, I think you can go too far with that too, to some degree. And I think I did for a while. Um, but I got to a point where I found a much healthier balance and I understand myself probably better. Well, I don't know. How can you not better know yourself as you get older, but I feel like I know myself. I think it's possible. (laughs) You you might be right about that, but I do feel like at this point in time, I know, I do feel like I know myself the best, not like I know everything, but I love, I love the idea of realizing that I don't know everything and that I can be engaged in conversations and be challenged in beliefs and the way things are so that I can keep evolving who I am and the relationships that I have with people and hopefully and do my little tiny minuscule part to leave this world a better place. And, you know, as far as like, I think people get too caught up in protocols and wanting to know exactly what you did. 
this is like 40 years. I don't know. There was a lot of like good things that happened and there's setbacks and there's, I mean, I had nine 11 mixed in there. I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know. And other people have other really serious traumas Mm -hmm. that I've never experienced. I think we're just all on a messy, beautiful journey. I think we all serve a purpose. I think we're all here for a reason. Um, and I'm just trying to do my best every single day to get up and be passionate about the things that I really love to help people figure out. And that's where I am right now. And I feel really grateful for it. And we could have this conversation in five years and you might be somewhere else. Possibly. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, so it sounds to me, I'll translate what I took out of that is that really building a relationship with yourself was the needle mover and like realizing who you are and what's important to you and, and um, how you show up and interact in the world and with people. And that's not the normal needle mover we get hearing talking about in health space. And um, I think people always underestimate that aspect of like that internal world and what's going on there and how it affects physical. Now I, I would guess that someone with a history of digestive issues or skin issues that if you get really stressed or if somebody really upsets you, if you're really upset or you get pulled away from that, like connection to yourself in some way, like get pulled into like patterns or unconscious, like, you know, uh, when you respond to something and then you're like, Oh shit, I said that thing. And I wouldn't mean to, you know, when we react and then we realize it later, like when you get pulled into that space, I wouldn't be shocked if some symptoms of yours pop up from some, from time to time. Yes. OCD and, and anger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people don't usually equate that. There's a look at only like, what did I eat? And it isn't always necessarily what you ate. Um, as someone married to a person with multiple autoimmune conditions, all three of her flares, there were things in common, one being mold and one being extended periods of extreme stress. And that now that's part of the reason we're moving to where we're moving and pulling her out of the emergency room is to negate one aspect of that. And so Um, that work of figuring yourself out is I think as important, if not more important than what you're eating or um, things of that nature. So it's, it's refreshing to see that come up in conversations. And to be okay with doing what's different. You don't have to look, I don't have children. I made a choice. I didn't want, that wasn't for me. And I'm love to chime in on that. I know. My dad had this patient. She was, um, some sort of pastor mm-hmm. and she had asked me, my sister has two children and she got, sometimes his patients would get us confused and that's fine. And she'd be like, Oh, how are your children? And I was like, Oh no, no, no. I, my, they're my nieces. And she's like, Oh, and the way I said it, she must've taken a little bit of an embarrassed kind of mm-hmm. embarrassment. Yeah. And she said, I, I don't know if I'm overstepping here, but it's okay. If your flock that you tend to is not biological children. She's like, I know that you work with a lot of people and your flock that you came into this world to tend to might not look like what everyone else does. And that's okay. Wow. And I was like, wow. She, (laughs) that was like one of the most enlightening moments of something that some person, I'll never forget her, um, that she said to me. And I was like, you're right because it just, that wasn't my flock. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the things that I get to do. And it's okay that my life doesn't look like everyone else's. I'm really grateful for it now that it doesn't. So yeah. That's amazing. That's so backwards compared to how most people in this society respond to that situation, both being slightly embarrassed, because then there's usually a defensive reaction that would be a lashing out. And then people love to tell other people what they should be doing with their life and that should match what they do. I won't get into why I think that is, but that's great. That's a really cool story. So if if anyone is struggling with that, there you go. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. She was a, I think she was Pentecostal minister pastor for her church. So I I was just surprised by that answer that we all have our own flocks to tend to. And it's okay if yours does not look like everyone else's. Brilliant. Well, it was a great discussion and I appreciate you sharing stuff that isn't on the top of the things you usually talk about on podcasts. Um, I know that 
speaking from experience, some of the stuff that I now can talk about pretty easily where it doesn't seem like it's a big deal to me, it used to be. And so I totally want to honor that. And um, thank you for sharing some, some inside info on Jen's life and how you got to where you are. And I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to a lot of it because it doesn't have to be the same symptoms. It doesn't have to be the same conditions or the same challenges or the same anything. I think most people with any sort of chronic health issues can relate to feeling alone, to feeling like an outcast, to feeling like they can't do things and that they're in this bubble and like everyone else is living in this world that they get to do all these things. And in your world sucks and it's this little small world and nobody gets it. And so um, I hope that they feel seen and understood from, from this conversation. And I'm glad you went through all those things that suck so that you can bring that experience to the people that you work with now. So me too. Oddly me too. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have said it. Me too. And my, my stuff that I went through too, like I was suicidally depressed a few years ago and out of that has come a whole bunch of cool stuff. And if you told me then, Oh, you're just going through a really difficult time right now and it's going to turn out great and you're going to be better off for it. And you're going to gain all these amazing insights and things. I would have been like, dude, go die over there. Like, I don't even want to hear this. And um, I get it too. Sometimes when you're in it, you don't want to hear, like if it was like right after 9-11 and your symptoms are really bad and you just gotten traumatized and all these things are going on and someone's like, this is going to be really good for you. Uh, they would have got the bully fingers. So um, we're not trying to patronize anybody that's going through a really tough time right now no. Like and say, oh, it's going to get better. You're going to love this, whatever. It's just personally from both of our experience, uh, the gifts that came through the challenges are the things that you learn to identify when you make that relationship with yourself and you're like, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And um, so cheers to us for going through a bunch of crap. <laughs> And um, for what came out the other side. And I just appreciate the the candid discussion. And it's always fun to connect with you. And where's the best? I got a bunch of links they'll see below. So you don't have to name off everything you do. But where's the first and best place for people to go to check out your podcast, your work? Yeah, I would say, um, well, it's skinterrupt.com. But for those who find that hard to spell, you can just go to healthyskinshow.com. And that will take you to... The website where the the podcast page is and you can find everything from there okay skinterrupt.com uh actually i commented before we went live on how clever the name is and i ended up knowing the person <laughs> who helped her come up with it so it's a small world but um you get an a plus for that that's the most creative original name of a website or, or brand of anybody i've ever interviewed so go there check her out all the links are below we'll have a bunch of links so go look at those you can find everything jen does over there check out her show. You got a lot of catching up to do. There's like 200 episodes. So um, I want a full report back. So go check those out. And it's not just about skin. I'm sure Jen talks about a lot of things over there. So um, thank you, Jen. It's always super fun and I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.